What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Believers Podcast, Riley, Friday Bluffs, Friday back in action here. It's Friday, February 16th, and Riley Davis is with us. It's always a good day when that happens. How are you, Riley? Doing a little synchronized slipper slip. Slippers. Hey, that was hey, that was well executed, right? That was a good slipper flip, my friend. I texted Carter beforehand and said, Let, let's get a little synchronized slipper flip going. Come on, Greg. That was great. You know what? I just like like I spend my days working on this and editing this and clipping this and promoting this and emailing people about potential partnerships and making sure our audience likes the content and reading the comments. And you guys are just focused on fucking slipper flips. Greg, we are literally trying to get all three of us an Uggs partnership. I don't know about you, but my wife needs some new low top Uggs. She's in the market. Yeah, Greg, you said your feet have been cold. I have slippers underneath me right now if needed, okay? I'm just not flipping them because our audience doesn't come to the show for slipper flips, okay? God, but nice. Great start. And I'm sorry I swore, Riley. I know that goes against everything you stand for. (laughs) Oh, man. Thanks for asking how I'm doing, though. I appreciate that. I take it. I don't think he truly. I don't think he truthfully means it anymore. (laughs) I I take it back. Uh, Card, how are you? I'm good. Great. Always blessed to be here on uh on Riley Fridays. Good. I'm just glad Riley's spirits are in a good spot after the whole Judah Mintz awakening earlier this week. Um, but you know, we, we all move on. It's true. Road games happen, life happens. Carolina may or may not be fine. I think they're fine. I'll hopefully be fine regardless. But yeah, you know, it's 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 always a pleasure to be on here. And talk some hoops with y'all and get my mind off of uh, our defensive struggles and everything. So, Well, if you want to hear more about the defensive struggles, you can go listen to that on the pod is the roof with the field of 68 with Jacob Karabatsos and uh, Riley Davis. Car, start us off. What's our YouTube comment of the day? Let me pull that up. You know what? Actually, Greg, I'm going to side with you on this one. I uh, Obviously, I'm the heftier of this podcast, but no pun intended. I got to pull my weight. All right. I, way too much focus is put on the slipper flip. I should have, um, you know, the comment pulled up right away. Let's see where we go here. Got okay. This one's gonna come from Walker Homestead. LOL. Sleepers podcast has become a big joke this season. Not sure why I continue to watch. Not sure why you do either, brother, and comment, but thank you. Uh, just admit that you don't watch Purdue basketball. <sighs> Sorry. Mason plays a huge role for Purdue. Points don't mean everything. It's all little things he does that don't show in the box score. 
especially every game matters, especially at home. Doesn't matter if you're playing number one team in the country or the 236 team in the country. Thanks, Walk Dog. Like, come on, man. We, well, I, I'll take this, Gregory. The premise of the exercise that we did when we said matters was that we were talking about guys that are NBA players, maybe future college stars that are like in a lesser role, but in the future will be in greater roles coming up when we were looking at teams and how we were grading them. Mason Gillis is going to be either A, playing at another school next year, or B, in the workforce, or C, overseas somewhere. So it's like, yes, he is impactful in the minutes that he plays. Yes, he means something to Purdue. In the grand scheme of the of the exercise that we were doing, no, Gillis does not matter in the mold of that he is not an NBA player. He is not going to be some star or some type of player next season because he's 25. Yeah, I, I'd like to go. Can I still go? Yes, please. So, hey, I have some breaking news for Purdue. Uh, this goes out to everyone in Purdue, except for the the nice people in Purdue that are kind, and many of them are in our Discord. We have personal relationships with. You can ignore this if you are a rational minded Purdue person. Uh, but this goes out to all of Purdue. Everything's not about you. Everything is not about Purdue. So I don't care. Of course, Mason Gillis matters to you. Will Berg matters to you. The ball boy matters to you. The person in the top row at Mac Arena matters to you. The line outside Harry's Chocolate Shop matters to you. When your waitress comes back with your diet Dr. Pepper and you think it tastes like regular Dr. Pepper and you're upset about it because you asked for regular, how dare they bring you diet? That matters to you, okay? Guess what? We are a show about college basketball at large. We talk about Purdue so much because you're the best team in the sport. That's a credit to you. That's great. But does Mason Gillis matter to anyone else outside of Purdue in college basketball circles? Absolutely not. This kid has five games in double figures out of 24 games this season. After tonight against Minnesota, he's going to have five in 25 games this season. That's less than Will Cheddar has. Will Cheddar plays less minutes and takes less shots from three, and they're a lot more contested than Mason Gillis. And I'm not egotistical enough to throw a hissy fit if someone told me Will Cheddar doesn't matter. So just breathe for a damn second and realize that everything is not about you. Thank you. We good? Can we move on? Yeah. God. Riley, any Mason Gillis thoughts? Uh, <laughs> I mean, shout out to him for putting up high offensive ratings for the nerds, but I'm very much in the camp of Carter that metrics are cooked. So it's, it's uh, obviously it's a guy who plays 20 minutes on the number one team in the country yeah, he matters, of course, but like, just everything's not about it. That's the main. Everything's just not about you. Whether it's the court storming dialogue, whether it's like anything, it's just it's not always about you. Also, you're like being I, a, I, you're being I, a very, very, very agitating number one team in the country. Stop it. I vented about this in the Discord, and Purdue fans actually calmed me down and were rational about it. But like, take a joke. Like just take take a slight little joke criticism once, and this is not an issue. But like they can't do that. And uh, yeah, the other thing we got hit with Car was somebody made a three minute video montage of words that I said about Lance Jones in November yesterday. 
Like who, who pull pull the rabbit out of the hat there? Sure, don't add a clip of the last one hundred times we talked about how good Lance Jones is. Just paint it to be horrible. Paint us to be haters. Paint us to be guys who don't give him credit that he deserves and tag him in it. Right? That's that's a rational thing to do. I just can't with this fan. How did I escape that? I just I can't. I cannot do it with this fan base. And I know there's a lot of really good Purdue fans, but like just so sense and I'm being sensitive. I get it. There's such a sensitive fan base. Your team's way too good to be that sensitive. You act like a bubble team. You get upset mm-hmm. about it. like you're, you're the best team in the country. Stop taking every little criticism like somebody shot your daughter in the face. It's ridiculous. To the Discord. Oh, if you want to join the Discord and be part of the rational Purdue fans that uh, talk me off the ledge, you can do so. There's a link to join in the description of every video that we do. Um, Also, I think we have a lot of new users we haven't welcomed. Do you remember any off the top of your head, Cart? I'm going to scroll back through right now. Oh, who was it? I think there was a Detroit's Finest in there. Death Taxes Painter has joined. Round of applause for Death Taxes Painter. Wasn't Wasn't there our naked neighbor? Our naked neighbor is in. Linko joined. Uh, J J Cruz joined. T Flat joined. Your naked neighbor joined. Detroit's coldest joined. Uh, I think that's it. That's six joins in about two days. Shout out to all our new Discord members. We love you. We appreciate you. To the comments section. Trent Frazier is goat. Starts us off and says, in the Michigan game, Illinois went away from the switch everything defense and emphasized their guards fighting over screens, especially TJ and Ty. Coleman in his postgame said the team started to get too lazy and comfortable switching, and it led to a lapse of defensive focus. Your thoughts? I mean, I do love that. Um, I think that it's it's interesting that they I – mean, well, actually, it's not, inter- it's not interesting that they implemented it in this game. But it's interesting that, like, this is the game they kind of changed it because Michigan, with obviously without Doug McDaniel, is not like a team where you're like, oh, make sure you fight over those screens. Those guards are dynamic off the ball screens. But I do think it is something that is a positive note for them because I do think that sometimes, and this is not just Illinois, I think that some teams can get very comfortable or they see switching as a moment to take a break or a moment to, like, take the easy way out when really it's, you got to be very locked in when you're switching. And even if you are switching, you need to be connected and going just as hard as you would if you were fighting over a screen. That's sometimes people get that loss in the mix. Like when you hear switch, you're like, oh, let me take a break. Let me just, I'm switching. I don't got to fight over this. And, you know, that can hurt the team defensively. So that's good to see moving forward that they, that's something that they can implement. Anything as a defensive step for Illinois, I think is, is good for them. Yeah. I think that's just Brad, um, like Brad is not a coach who's going to like just keep doing the wrong thing over and over again. In my opinion, he's a guy who makes adjustments, maybe not in the game as much as he should, but from game to game in the middle of the week, there's clearly like new strategic approaches to games we've seen over Brad Underwood's career. That's why I like Brad and respect him a lot. Uh, as far as the Michigan game goes, I went back and forth with a couple people on Twitter about this. I don't think it was a great defensive performance from Illinois. That's the most points in a game Michigan has scored without Doug McDaniel. Yes, I understand a lot of them came at the end in the final four minutes against walk-ons and at the free throw line. Um, Michigan shot one for 10 from three and still scored more points than they have in other games without Doug. That's because they got a bunch of easy looks at the rim still. So you still have to figure that out. Michigan should have made more at the rim. They didn't because they're Michigan. Terrace Reed is not a good post scorer. Nobody on this team is. Um, 
but it's good to see Brad try something new. Painters Petting Zoo alumni says, Happy Riley Friday. I like what Kentucky did playing Gonzaga this late in the season. Heard a lot of talk over the years how the Big Ten is so physical and officiated so differently. The Big Ten teams have trouble adjusting to the tourney, and that's part of the lack of March success. What if there was another set of mini non-con tourneys in late February? Give teams another chance to play unique styles before the tourney starts. Riley, would you like to see more non-conference games at the end of February? Yeah, I think the the Big 12 and SEC challenge is always a fun little shakeup in late January. I think this is the first year where they haven't done it, unless I'm missing something. Because I think it was probably went away when they started doing the SEC-ACC challenge. But I think conference play, I mean, we all enjoy it, but you get halfway through it. And it's it's nice for a little palate cleanser where you get some some fresh faces in there and some new blood. And I think that's where doing a game like this standalone Kentucky Gonzaga, I'd like to see more teams implemented as long as they're committed to doing high quality matchups. You know, I don't want to see North Carolina schedule a, a like a Xavier matchup in the middle of the season, just to try to pad the resume a little bit and get like a nice Q2 win or something, bring in the, bring in the big guns, keep something like that going. Part. Well, first of all, Riley, you need to lower your tone because uh, Xavier's covering in the Dean Dome. Let's relax. Um, two, uh, I, I agree uh, to a certain extent. Um, like I, I see what Riley's saying, especially, you know, speaking as a big 10 fan, like the stretch of games where I just got to watch like Penn state, Michigan, you know, and then we travel to Maryland, like, or we travel to play Minnesota or something like that. Like that stretch of games is just kind of, eh, especially when it's the second time around. Um, but I know for a fact that they won't implement any type of like, like February, tourney or something like that because they don't want to water down the product of the real tournament that's probably coming in March so it's probably like a money like we don't want to you know give you a little preview appetizer when you got the real thing coming in March yeah yeah I agree with that um I would like to see more I don't have much more thoughts on that just the more creative fun college basketball games we can get the better uh and yeah conference plays long man like it kind of just drags at a certain point especially when you have conferences where one team is so clearly superior to the others um like what Purdue is right now, what UConn is in the Big East, what Arizona is in the Pac-12, what Duke is in the ACC. So it would be really nice to break things up. Kyle Tupper Good says, one, Greg. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle, I don't know the card even caught that one. I thought I'd get a crack from him. Uh, Kyle Tupper has a wholesome question here. He says, a personal one for today. It's awesome to see that you both have incredibly supportive wives. My girlfriend is very supportive of my personal endeavors. I run a small racing team and make content along with it. It's doing very well, but not bringing in money just yet. At what point do you feel your partners truly bought in and realized this was something you guys could do seriously and sustainably? Car, you want to take that? Ooh. Um, I just think that, just speaking personally, my wife's always recognized like, my passion for this, like just for college basketball in general. Um, and even though she might not, I mean, she understands it now, obviously, but even early on, she might not have understood like why I was so passionate about it, but she just always, the support was always there. And honestly, there's a lot of times where we weren't doing something or we weren't making something happen. And she was the one like pushed me, like, you gotta, you gotta do this. Like you gotta keep doing it. Like you could do something with this. This could be something like, go record, go on these, go on these trips with Greg and go to these other stadiums and do all this stuff. And it's, you know, I definitely wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her and her support definitely is even more than she knows helps me out. Yeah. I think we're really uniquely lucky. Not that I'm Kyle, your wife wouldn't be the same, but like 
Um, like I, my wife was extremely supportive the day I went and bought a laptop because I told her I wanted to podcast more. Like I, I can literally remember the moment. It was like winter. I was watching a bowl game. It was during the pandemic. And I just felt like I woke up with like a wave of depression. I've had some mental health stuff here and there. And like, I was scared. I was like, I literally just woke up, didn't feel like myself and she could tell. And she was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I don't know. And I just like kind of had a breakdown and she was like, well, let's, let's change something. Like what would make you happy? And I was like, well, I'm enjoying this once a week podcast we do with Carter. And she was like, let's go to Best Buy and buy you a bunch of equipment right now. And every step of the way, like when we've had small successes or good things, she's always been advocating for taking it more serious. Um, I think we're very uniquely lucky with that, but end of the day, like if it's your passion, I think the people that love you support your passion. So, uh, it sounds like you have that at home as well. My friend, don't worry about making the money. The money will come if you continue to do things well. Wait, can I say one more funny thing that is on a lighter note? Sure. Um, Meg actually did say to me, I think this might've been like a month or two ago when we saw each other. She's like, the one thing that is great about this podcast is that now when you and Greg see each other, it's not constant sports like talk, like when we see each other, like before this, when we weren't had the podcast, we we did hours worth of podcasts and whenever we linked up, like we had dinner yeah. reservations, we're like, yeah. no, Michigan State had a minus two last night when Madi was off the floor. We got to discuss that before we talk anything about appetizers. Now we got this as an outlet. It's extremely true. Like we <laughs> we had a threshold we were going to hit minimums on no matter what. And now that we hit way more than the minimums by spending hours a day on Zoom calls with each other, then when we do link for fun, it's just like, so what'd you do for Valentine's Day? <laughs> like, I can't wait to have those chats. Uh, okay, Crispy K can says- I, can I, I got to throw something in. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's actually my wife who encouraged me to start doing Riley Fridays. So she gave me the extra boost to say oh, yes man. to Greg's pitch. So- you can thank Natalie for that one. We oh, we man. round of applause for Nat. Because uh, it was the, it was this summer she was pregnant. We were trying to prepare for being parents, and I was thinking like, can I take on another weekly commitment? And then it sort of came down to just leaning into the stuff that I actually enjoy doing with the people I enjoy doing it with in this space. And y'all two fit that bill, so here we are. Oh, we appreciate that. Yeah, it, it was we had to win yeah. a recruitment on that. For the record, I remember. Um, we we kind of had to convince you to reclassify because it was kind of like at some point Riley's going to do this. But like in the middle of pregnancy, is that the time to do this? I was like, well, we need a point guard on Fridays. So here comes Elliot Cadell. Uh, yeah, do do what you love. The money will come. The people that love you will support you doing what you love. That's my take. Crispy K says Purdue could actually get seeded versus Michigan State in the second round since they only play once this season. It happened back in 2019 when MSU drew Minnesota in the round of 32. That could happen. Tom Izzo would throw an enormous fit if he drew Purdue in the second round. There is no way the selection committee would do that to Tom Izzo. Do you agree with me, Cart? Yeah, no chance. They, no chance. They know, they know better. Yeah. Coy says, who should make Tony Bennett say no? Has he ran out of momentum at Virginia? It's an ACC question for Riley Davis. I think there's a better shot that Tony Bennett retires than he takes a new job. And I, I will say Virginia has turned it around. I think they've won like eight of their last nine, just lost Pitt at home, which granted, uh, not the best way to go out. But I I question Tony Bennett's ability to thrive long-term in this current era with the portal and NIL. They're, they haven't really brought in any impact transfers. 
And I think he's still a great coach. And you're seeing that with how they're 19 and six right now after getting annihilated by Florida and getting annihilated by, oh wait, they, they got annihilated by Wisconsin. I think they had a couple other blowout losses early on. I mean, they lost by 17 to NC state, uh, but they rebounded nicely. Cause I think Bennett really is that good when it comes to, you know, building a cohesive unit and getting the most out of his roster. But I just don't think you're going to see those. Like, I think the days of top 10, top five Virginia teams are over. And I kind of think that he would struggle to recreate that anywhere. Yeah, I think that's a correct read. Um, speaking from a fan of a program who desperately needs a coach, like if Tony Bennett was attainable, I would drive my Nissan rogue through a brick wall for that. Uh, he, I don't know if he wants out. I don't know if Virginia fans want him out, but I do think he's one of the only legacy, like hall of fame level coaches that I could see taking a new job at some point before he retires. Um, I would be surprised at this point if that happens, but you have to like throw his name out of default because there's not a lot of other guys that would even consider leaving. So uh, we'll see what happens with Mr. Tony Bennett. Dr. Doctor has uh, another Dr. Doctor story for us here. Um, just going to read it. The date is September 10th, 2000 on a brisk evening in Bloomington, Indiana. As Indiana announces, it is parting ways with the greatest and most iconic coach to step foot on a hardwood floor, Bob Knight. In 2002, Mike Davis leads the Hoosiers to an NCAA championship berth in which they lose to a future Big 18 team in Maryland, knocking off the big, scary Blue Devils on their way. You're welcome, Riley. Fast forward to 2024, and Indiana has accomplished essentially no March success after the absence of the general. The Big Ten as a whole has not won a championship since Michigan State in 2000 and is begging Indiana to return to its glory of restoring order and balance to the college basketball landscape. The Big Ten needs Indiana to beat up on the big bullies like North Carolina, Duke, Kansas, and Kentucky, just like Illinois fans need to inject themselves into a made-up rivalry and like a politician with their unwavering desire to lie. Recently, two programs of national relevance have undergone similar circumstances of Hall of Fame caliber coaches retiring. That would be North Carolina and Coach K's team. No one in the media is questioning the two new coaches replacing all-time greats. However, this is why I provide this history. As someone who has experienced 23 years of disappointment from a school that was once even more of a powerhouse than Duke and Carolina, who's to say that history doesn't rhyme and these two schools with their new head coaches plummet into the depths of mediocrity. Currently, they are still reaping the benefits of Coach K and Roy Williams, as Mike Davis once did with Bobby Knight. But if success doesn't happen soon... One year turns to two, two to five, five to 10, 10 to 20, and you all experience pain and heartbreak. Is this a realistic possibility? Riley Davis. Yes, I get uh, <laughs> It's like my worst nightmare, but yeah, I got to acknowledge it's, it's a realistic possibility. I don't think it's necessarily a great one, um, really for UNC or Duke. I think, I mean, I could be wrong, but I would guess in the, the NIL era where there's a ton of money being pumped into the sport where you're dealing with conference realignment every year and uh, revenues being discussed, that type of thing, that schools are going to be more inclined to move on from a coach, even if he's one of their own. And I think that's where with both, you know, I don't think Hubert or John Shire have to worry about job security right now, but it's, I just don't think it's out of the question for either of them for five years from now. It's like, if they to be embroiled in mediocrity like that wouldn't be the biggest shocker cart 
And this is not yeah. me saying fire Hubert before the Meek Mill commenter says that I'm trying to fire Hubert. The one with the <laughs> y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. It's that YouTube comment who has the Meek Mill Dreams and Nightmares logo for their avatar. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you have to acknowledge like following a Hall of Fame coach is really hard. And a lot of times it takes schools, a couple different coaches to find the right one afterwards. Yeah, I, I agree with Riley. It's just a different landscape, which makes it like very I I think it makes it easier and honestly more accepted to just like move on from a coach because you had the resources. Um, but I just want to let it be known that if somehow Colleen Hoover listens to this podcast, like don't get comfortable because like Dr. Doctor's on your ass. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, we are we are watching one of the greatest storytellers of our generation blossom in discord form. Yeah. God forbid he gets in his paperback bag. He's on your ass. He's on your ass, Colleen. We honestly might need Dr. Doctor to pen a sleeper's novel at some point. We could uh we could certainly work with him and cut him in there. Uh maybe we could we could get Dr. Doctor to write our version of the almanac and uh go full on competitor with uh well, we wouldn't compete with Heat Check. We love the Heat Check, but uh anyways, just just thinking, thinking out loud. Um I last thing I'll say on Dr. Doctor's actual point here. I think the transfer portal is the big buffer here that makes it so that this can't actually happen because players will now run through a wall to put a Duke uniform on or a North Carolina uniform on, no matter what buffoon is coaching them. Like that's just the reality here. So like we, if this was going to happen with Hubert, it would have happened and snowballed after last season. The reason it didn't is because Harrison Ingram wanted to wear Argyle stripes. Uh, there will be a new Harrison Ingram next year. And John Shire looks to be recruiting at an elite level. I don't think that's changing. Um, so, no, I, I, that's this is all wishful thinking, in my opinion. And the transfer portal rewards the best programs in the sport, which, honestly, if Indiana had a competent person coaching, it would be rewarding y'all, too. But y'all said Xavier Johnson, I'm good. I don't need a guard. So, good luck with that. Super Woke says, I posit that Purdue is the true blue blood in Indiana. Legend has it that Purdue turned down the bid to the N. I don't know what that means. Uh, NIT? I don't know. Or NCAA. I don't know. I don't know what any of this means. Uh, is is Purdue the real blue blood? No. No. Come on. No. 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 Not even um, in the conversation. Act like, could, could they become a blue blood if either Gene Cady or Matt Painter, both of whom they worship, ever makes a Final Four combined between the two of them? Yeah, probably. Wait, did, did Gene Cady not make a Final Four? We've gone over this. Gene Cady never made a Final Four, and because Purdue's uh, never made a Final Four, have they? I don't think so. They, they, card, they worship Gene Cady, and he made less Final Fours than every one of our coaches on this program. That's crazy. Yeah, you're you're not a blue blood if you're worshiping a coach. Who, and I and I thank you for the comments. Oh, he went head to head with Bobby Knight. Okay, make it to a Final Four, brother. They made a Final Four in 1969 and 1980. I apologize, Purdue. Mm. Who was coaching that team? Do we know? Gene Cady took over in 1980, it seems. But they didn't go so his they, first so they, year. So they're worshiping no, the guy who took over after they made a Final Four? Correct. correct. It was George King who made the Final Fours. Was wait, was Gene Cady born on third base? Yeah. Some, some are saying he's Harry's chocolate shop Ryan Day. That's insane. Uh, Ryan Alliance says, where's Malik Mack playing a year from today? One word answers, boys. Where's he playing? Harvard. Mm, give me a second. Maryland. Ooh, I like that call. 
Uh, I'm still going to go Indiana. I don't know why. I'm going to go Indiana. By Bins says, with it now a month away and things a lot clearer than the start of conference play, create the most fun Big Ten tournament bracket within the general realm of possibility. I think this should be a segment. I don't think this should be a comment on the fly. So I'm going to bump this. Thanks for the question, By Bins. We'll probably do this next week at some point or closer to conference tournament play. Uh, McNeese Geese Aviator, a.k.a. Sully, says, is there any player on Ohio State that could possibly be a Kentucky target next year? Anyone have thoughts on that? I mean, they could grab Felix Akpara and add him to the seven footers that don't play <laughs> a section <laughs> of the of the bench. Um, I mean, they're gonna lose Reeves. They're gonna lose Mitch. They're gonna lose uh Trey Mitchell. They are gonna have obviously recruits and things like that coming in. I don't. I don't know. I I think maybe they would take a look at like a guy like Scotty Middleton. Like he was a top. 40 player I think he kind of I could see him being a Kentucky player I think he fits that mold so maybe Scotty Middleton's a shot I would give if Jamison Battle had another year left that to me is the quintessential I don't like middling veteran that Kentucky fans convince themselves is going to be an all SEC level player but <laughs> I'm thinking like Trey Mitchell Reed Travis and uh who else did they have recently the Olivier Saar from Wake Forest, all those, all those vets great. who had Honestly, some, even before that, CJ Frederick, Grady, like, yeah, Kellen like, Grady was actually good though. I'll give Kellen Grady credit. So but... it came time to make shots and they lost yeah. to St. Peter's. Okay. Fair point. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously Roddy Gale, I think he'd be good anywhere. I don't know what Kentucky's guard outlooks outlook looks like next year, but I think the oh. issue for Kentucky is they're, they're going to have other players that they want to be the primary ball handlers. So you're not just going to give the keys to Thornton or Gale the way other programs would. Yeah. I would like to play a quick where will these players play next season. I have my answers. Bruce Thornton, Gonzaga, Roddy Gale, South Carolina, if Lamont Paris is still there. Uh, Michi Johnson 2.0, a little pipeline from Ohio State to South Carolina there. Uh, Felix Akpara is going to like go to Minnesota or something random like that. Uh, and Scotty Middleton is going to go to Butler. What about Devin Royal and Chapman? Devin Royal might end up at Michigan, depending on who's coaching, and Chapman is going to go down a level to, like, I don't know, Wright State or something, Oakland. I bet I'm going to call it now. I think Roddy Gale ends up at St. John's. He's from New York and feels very Rick Pitino-y to me. I don't hate that. I don't hate that. All right. Uh, Dylan Terpstra, is Olivier Kamwa officially a poor man's Malik Hall? Uh, I'm going to take this because I was calling Malik Hall a poor man's Olivier Kamwa. No, I still think Kamwa is a better version of Malik Hall. And if Kamwa was the four on Michigan State, he would be doing what Malik Hall is doing, except probably more prolific. Cart, do you agree with me? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Carter Bullhouse says, I can't wait until Michigan State gets bounced by the McNeese geese in the first round. It's inevitable. Probably. Probably. Uh, let's fly through these last four so we can get to the topics. Travis Nelson says credit to Hall and Aikens, obviously, but it was hard to imagine any game that Michigan State wins getting only 10 points combined from Hogarth and Walker. Uh, yeah, we talked about that in the recap. Go watch the recap. Travis also says, I'm so good at predicting the future. Let Book cook. He said, wow, Xavier Booker had some great minutes against Penn State the first time. Shout out Trav. Good prediction. Did happen. Five good minutes. Guy uh, was telling people how the comment section works. Thank you, Guy. Tag us. Make sure any new users tag Sleepers Media if you want us to read it on the show. Derek says, uh, let me give you a scenario. Someone is left off of uh, Ryan Lyons' top 10 Discord members. That person has Jordan DNA and takes that personally. That person spams the top 10 Discord members with five submissions, all without Ryan the Lion. 
Is Derek admitting to doing this, do we think? I, I think so, yes. I think that's happening too. Yeah, that's a good move. And last comment today, Sean Vowles says, any chance Musselman puts his name in the ring at Ohio State? Riley, do you think that could happen? Yes, I do. I like Muss at Ohio State. I don't. I think Muss is all in on the Louisville job. Who isn't all in on the Louisville job? I, I, I'm i waiting for my interview. I think it's Muss and Tang. That's it. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I I know Field of 68 talked about it last night. I got to watch it still. But the clip said it's a top 20 job. I don't know that I agree with that. Don't know that, like, Cart, you and I went to Columbus last year. There is not a lot of juice with the basketball program there right now. And I get Holtman did that, but you got to you gotta have the right guy there to make it juice. I think if you want juice, Muss is the perfect pint-sized juice. <laughs> I think Muss would leave Ohio State within four years, even if his teams were great. He would. But he might do that to Louisville, But you might have a banner and, like, an Elite Eight in that four years. But if you're Ohio State, you're not hiring that guy. They probably want some longevity, like some stability, longevity. Ohio State would rather have a high floor, low ceiling guy that's there for 10 years. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Uh, Good job, comment section. Appreciate you. To the segments, fly through them, Riley. You got 20 minutes on the clock. What segment for one? (laughs) All right. First one, I want to do some position battles and discuss best guards, best bigs, really second best bigs. We all know who number one is, and best wings in the country. I have. Three candidates for each of these categories. We'll see if you if y'all think I snubbed any, but I want to let a little debate ensue. We can start with the guards, most important position in the landscape of college basketball. Guards are the key to March. And let's start between Tyler Kolick, RJ Davis, and Mark Sears. I think those are your top three. Which one would you take first of that group? You want to go first, uh, Greg? You want me? I think uh I think the best player in this group is Tyler Kolick. Who am I taking in March? R.J. Davis. Two different questions for me. But I, you can't get mad at either. Either one could easily be the face of a Final Four run. Yeah, I, I think you look at last season, and obviously Tyler Kolek, Tyler Kolek right now is the best player out of those players that you just named with the way he's playing. Um, and even last season, like I talked about many times, coming into the tournament, Tyler Kolek was absolutely going ballistic. With that said... You said, which one do you want? March, I seen what R.J. Davis has done. I seen him have a run where he went to the Final Four. Like He was he was integral and had some massive games in the tournament. Um, I haven't seen that from Tyler Kolek. Obviously, the thumb injury last year might have hindered that a bit. But, I, you know, you got to take what you, what, you, what you know and see. So, I think I personally would take R.J. Davis as well. Yeah, I, I am pretty much – Dead's uh, pretty much in full agreement with both of what y'all said. It it pained me this morning as I was thinking through this topic when I realized that Tyler Kolick is better than RJ Davis. And I think Kolick is the best guard in the sport, which uh, <laughs> maybe gives way to Greg's rice theory, even more credence to that as well. But Kolick over in this Marquette eight game winning streak, he's averaging 21 points, nine assists, five rebounds, and he's shooting 47% from three. Yeah. Like that is an insane stretch. And I know he's had a couple super splashy games where he had one didn't he have like 27 and 13 a week ago or something like St. John's just this insane type of stat lines but I don't know if people outside of like the big east corner of the world are taking note of just how good he's been in this stretch because yeah I I mean I was out on this Marquette team like a month ago it seemed like they were losing to anybody with a pulse but they've been back with a vengeance um meanwhile I I do think RJ versus Mark Sears is a bit of an interesting conversation Sears has him beat on efficiency 
at the same time, RJ takes, I think his usage is a lot higher. Like RJ has made 79 threes. I think Mark Sears has made 56, um, which is pretty wild that Davis has been able to do that with, I think he's shooting 42% from three. Um, but yeah, overall, I think I'd still give the slight edge to RJ just because I think he's has to do a little bit more than Sears and still think I'd take him. I would take him out of this group for a March run. That's a lot closer than you you think, honestly. Like the difference between, like I know, like we said, Kolik is probably the choice right now, but three great options, great options for sure. Yep. All right, we can move on to the the second best big man, assuming we'd all take ZD, <laughs> Zach Eady first. Uh, so I had your candidates are Hunter Hunter Dickinson, Janai Broom, who has sneakily been awesome. Uh, maybe not not so sneaky anymore, Greg. I know maybe you don't like that, dude. I'm gonna make a pretty strong case for Denai Broom, and my third is Duran Holmes. So first, would y'all say like did I did I snub Filipowski? Are you gonna give White Donovan a little bit of love and throw him in there? Or Oso Igadaro even and keep Wait, the Marquette train going? We're calling him White, White Donovan. Donovan? <laughs> <laughs> Where the hell did that come from, my dog? <laughs> Uh, that's hilarious for the record. Uh, yeah, I are those really the best bigs in the country? They probably are, right? I'm not missing anybody. I'm like trying to think of names. Not... I think I, I think I would put Oso over Janai Broom because I love Janai Broom, but outside of Auburn Stadium, he, you know, he's lefty Carson Cooper. I mean, okay, he's not that bad, but like the. The difference between him and the Auburn at home and Auburn away and like players Auburn at home and away is like drastic. Like what I saw them do last night against South Carolina in that 40 point dub and what they did when they went to Florida and got boat raced. Like that's, I don't know. I'd rather have Oso in there than Janai Broom. Yeah. I I think that the case against Broom is still the free throw shooting, which doesn't make sense because he's, he's shooting 39% from three this year, but he went one for eight on the road at Florida. But I, I just like watching him pack up both BJ Mack and Colin Colin Murray Boyles last night. Like this dude is anchoring one of the five best defenses in the country right now. The fact that he's made himself a, a competent three point shooter has been incredible. And he, I mean, he's just a, a physical force down there. I think I might go with Broom as the second best. But Greg, you want to talk me out of it? You got any others that you throw out, you throw out there? No, oh, listen. Sorry, I don't mean to, I don't mean to cut you off. I'm picking Hunter. By the way, I know he just had that discourse, but like I'm taking Hunter Dickinson. So I, Broom is awesome. I have no complaints about Broom individually being awesome. I think he's a stud. Um, I I have issues with Auburn as a whole that I'm going to really go in depth on with Brian Ralph when we do our Auburn-South Carolina recap right after we end this recording. But um, largely, I, I think Auburn is a very sticky team this year, and their stick works at home. And by stick, I mean their entire plan is to just yell. And if you get scared of them yelling – then you're screwed and you're going to lose by 60. Like that's what I watched last night. Like South Carolina had a lead five minutes into this game. And then Auburn got like one breakaway dunk. Everyone started jumping and screaming in people's faces and South Carolina shit themselves. So I like, I think that keeps happening at home every game. I think Broom's a big part of that. He hit like four step back threes last night. The graphic on my screen told me that's a career high. Uh, after every single one, he would like turn to the crowd and throw up ridiculous signs and then like dance in a player's face. And Murray Broyles was shivering. Uh, I, I don't think they can do that in the NCAA tournament. I think Broom's awesome. I don't think the supporting cast of Auburn is awesome enough to let Broom single-handedly lead a team. Uh, put more simply, there's no Kevin McCuller on Auburn next to Hunter Dickinson. So mm-hmm. 
Uh, the player I would take is not a player you named. I would take Ryan Kalkbrenner. Uh, I think he's been stellar and nobody wants to admit that. I've alluded to this with Cart. I'm not selling my Creighton stock all the way yet. If you go through Kalk's latest games, he's been in double figures every single game, 28 points against Xavier, 20 points against Butler, four blocks in each of his last two games. I think he's better defensively than everybody you named. Uh, give me Kalk. My one push, because I thought about Kalk, and I know Creighton's had a nice little stretch over the past month or so, but I still go back to giving up 98 points at home to Butler. And this, I think this is a Butler team that we all like, that we all could see making the tournament. But if you're supposed to be the Big East player, of the defensive player of the year, and if that's been your reputation as this, this rim protector who's an absolute enforcer, a racer around the rim, that gives me pause, as does giving up 91 points to Providence team without Bryce Hopkins. And I know Josh, Josh Aduro has been balling out too, but... Yeah, I mean, if you like, Aduro put up 30, 32 points on Kalkbrenner, and, and that's, I, I just can't shake it. Overtime game against Providence, for the record, though. But I hear you. The, the Butler game was the aberration to me. Uh, weird things happened in that game. They gave up 78 in regulation, which still isn't great to Providence. But um, I think every game other than Butler, they've held their opponents under 80 in the last month. That can yeah. work. I Four call. points, fair counters. What were you going to say, Cart? I, I was just saying, I like the call pick. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can move on to the wings. The three candidates I had here, Dalton Connect, Terrence Shannon, and Kevin McCuller. Once again, let me know if I forgot anybody. I'm taking Kevin McCuller out of that group. I think I think I and that that pains me. It kind of does. It does pain me because I love Connect. Terrence Shannon, obviously. Um, but I think I'm taking McCuller for what he can do on both ends of the floor as well. I think he's the best defender out of that group that you just named. And he's also kind of doing the same things offensively. I think that McCuller and you've seen it in these last couple of games when he hasn't been there for Kansas, like this mm-hmm. team without McCuller, this team is just not, not that great. Like he really needs to bear a lot of the load. And I, I know that sounds weird with like players like Hunter next to him and things like that. But Greg brought it up on an episode yesterday, like without McCuller on that Kansas team, that that Kansas team is eerily similar to like what Michigan is. And it, I think it just kind of accentuated what McCuller does for that team. So I think I would take McCuller out of that group. McCuller's Sorry, the most complete Sorry, Global. Me. McCuller's the most complete to me. Like connects the best offensive player. I think Terrence Chan is the best defensive out of this group. Uh, I have major concerns with connect defensively. I have concerns with Shannon offensively of what he can do in a half court setting. Yeah. I think you got to take McCuller. Um, but it like the injury kind of scares me. Like the fact that he is missing games for a Kansas team that is not going to win the conference right now. Kind of, I, I don't know. Like they might just rest him down the stretch, try to get him ready for March. It's kind of ominous what's going on with him, but I think he's definitely the best of the group though. Yeah. I th- I was originally going to go with connect. I'll, I'll go back to the March question and say, I want connect in March. Um, I love that Tennessee's attitude with even adding him into the fold was like, we got a team of guys who are athletic and can defend. So let's go get a Hooper. And I think that's a recipe for success in March. I think that could help Rick Barnes sort of get over the hump. Um, and just how unguardable he's been for the better part of sec play is, is where he's why I lean to in March. But yeah, with, with McCuller, I actually would say McCuller's defense is, I probably would take him slightly ahead of um, Shannon. I think he's a little more disruptive and a little more uh, capable of coming up, coming down with either steals or blocks or deflections. But he's also a pretty, like, pretty solid secondary playmaker. He can pass a little bit, smart player. So, yeah, I, I would 
I think I'm going to go with McCuller overall, but yeah, I still want connect in March. Last note for me, I think it's notable the quote unquote great teams that did not have a player named in any of our conversations here. So no one from Houston named, uh, nobody from Arizona named, nobody from uh, Iowa State, nobody from Duke, nobody from Baylor on down. Uh, maybe teams I feel a little less confident about in March. Iowa State's about to get some love in this next segment, though, so I don't I don't feel bad uh, snubbing them. I want to talk. Well, this is sort of in the same vein as talking through these position battles, but let's discuss the best six men in the country. Best six men in the country. Okay, Mason Gillis. <laughs> this did. This came directly from our Discord for the record because uh, mostly I want to prove to the Purdue fans screaming at us that there's way better sixth men and that every team in the country has a sixth man who can score six points a game on wide open shots. Uh, some very obvious great ones. Rob Dillingham is a no brainer stud. Um, I, we mentioned it when we were doing, does your bench matter? I think Arizona has multiple guys that could count as a great sixth man. Jaden Bradley is probably the most premier of them, but KJ Lewis, the guy I think ends up in the pros at some point. And then there's teams who just like bring actual starter caliber players off the bench for whatever reason. I feel like Riley might be sitting on a couple of these, so I don't want to steal your thunder. Yeah, I was going to say, it's funny you mentioned the Mason Gillis thing. Like, there are a lot of teams. Like, as I was looking through Kimpom and looking at the top teams, there are a ton of teams that their their six-man is just a six-point-per-game score, like a la Mason Gillis. But Mason Gillis, again, I know I kind of poke fun at the metrics, the offensive rating, the three-point shooting, all that's significant, but... Um, I think Curtis Curtis Jones for Iowa State was the one who probably won't get a lot of love nationally, but just because of how good of a defender he is, and he's just been a perfect fit for what Otts wants to do. Um, and he's I think he's had a couple double digit scoring games recently. I want to say he's averaging ten points per game on the off the bench for the year. So um, there's a guard who had a history of running the point at Buffalo before, and I don't know. I mean, I still I, I just can't believe that. Otz is able to take these Mac players or like mid-major players who no one really cares about and turning them into legitimate contributors in the big 12. So uh, yeah, I'm with you. I think Dillingham is the first who I think is kind of undisputed, un- indisputably the best six man in the country. Um, Curtis Jones is really important to what Iowa state wants to do though. hundred percent card. Any other names? I mean, I feel, if, I feel like it's cheating taking Rob Dillingham just because, like, he should be the starter and playing 30 minutes a game on that basketball team. Um, I'm trying to – I don't, I don't want to forget anybody else, but I feel like I am. Honestly, I would give Illinois a small shout with the guys they got coming off the bench. Like, I think that – I think Harmon contributes. I, Luke Goody has struggled as of late, but early on in the season, Luke Goody was very good off the bench as a three-point shooter. Um you know what? I feel like I'm forgetting someone obvious, and it's really, really annoying me. So I the just want to make sure. The other big one I had before he got injured was Langston Love for Baylor. Yeah, that's a good one too. He was hooping before he got injured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, if uh, has Bama been bringing Rylan Griffin off the bench, or has he been starting? Does anyone know that? I feel like he's coming off they the might... bench. Am I wrong they, no, he starts. They bring Wrightsell off the bench. Wrightsell. Okay, I, I, I didn't. I couldn't tell if it was, if it was Ryland Griffin. I was going to throw him in that conversation, but uh, 
Never mind. Uh, no Seth Trimble love here, Riley. Were you? Okay, getting... I did. I had Seth Trimble on my Stop list, but it. I... <laughs> Stop it. That's listen. I the, you can make the case for Seth Trimble, but you making the case for Seth Trimble is what we're annoyed about with Purdue fans doing. Okay, else. it's a role. Everyone has a good role player at six man. Everyone. I was does. I was gonna say, Greg, um, when you mentioned how many double digit points, uh, how many points with double digits? Gosh, how many games with double digit points that Mason Gillis has? Do you remember what that number was? five you want to know how many games with double digits set trimble has probably five correct also yeah. five. <laughs> that'd be, that'd be my guess. uh which again this is not to slander how important these guys are to your individual teams everybody's team has a six man who's important to their success like that's that goes down to the very worst team. Detroit Mercy has a six man that matters to whether or not they can compete in a basketball game. It's it, it, does the guy need to be great every game to actually try and help you? No, like it doesn't. Your your team can win without your six man being good. 90% of the time, the 10% have something special. And I do have three more names to throw at you guys. And I'm excited to hear what you think of these three names, but I'm forgetting who the third one is right now. And I need to find it quickly on the fly before I start naming all these names. I lost it. I'm really frustrated. I'm just going to name my first two. Uh, Chad Baker Mazzara, Auburn. That's a, uh, Yeah, that's a good pull. He's Baker been really, really top. good. Watching Auburn destroy South Carolina last night. Like, everybody played 10 minutes. They have a really good bench in general. Katie Johnson also comes off the bench for that team. Uh, but Baker Mazar, if you go through his game logs, like, he's been in double figures four of the last five. He's a good scorer. He's a gunner. He actually gets sneaky assists. Like, he can play make. He had uh, four assists against Florida a couple weeks ago in just, like, 18 minutes. So, I, I think he's awesome. Um the other one that I think is obvious, even if the production hasn't been there this year, you would know this, Riley. Damari Monsanto is one of the best scorers in the country last year, one of the best shooters. He's been coming off the bench due to injury. That's a guy who matters. If he suddenly starts playing like the guy he was last year down the stretch for this team, then things really shift and move the needle. And I really – oh, my third one, it, he hasn't been playing well at all either, but how about a guy who matters? Riley Kugel at Florida. Like, Riley Kugel is capable of doing 25-point nights any given time. He had 22 in their win against Auburn. When he gives you that off the bench, he can be the focal point of the entire team. Some games he does nothing. That matters to Florida's success in a way that all the Mason Gillises or Seth Trimbles or Trey Hollimans or Will Chatters do not. Yeah. Uh, uh, to, to end this, to wrap this up, uh, put the sport in rice because uh, – I remember we used to be a proper country. It used to be a proper game. Last year, sixth man of the year in the country. Do you guys know who it was? No. I do. It was my boy, Serge Abari Rice. No pun intended. <laughs> that's a proper sixth man right there. That was a proper sixth man. And and that's actually a great transition because I was going to try to shoehorn Dylan DeSue into this discussion because he, oh, came, up, he came Let's go. <laughs> Come on, Riley. Come on with it. He, he came off the bench when he was returning from injury, but he's starting now. Damn Texas man. also 25th in Kimpom right now, Greg. Me and Cart's horn. Yeah, I, I was surprised up. you didn't give DeSue a shout when you did best front court players in the country. <laughs> we should have, honestly. <laughs> All right, let's end this with the last topic. And I'm glad y'all have mentioned Auburn and you've talked about Florida as well. Because uh, my last topic is, is the SEC good? Is it mid? Is it somewhere in between? <laughs> this is a league that, like, puts my brain in a pretzel every time I try to make sense of it. Every team is great at home and terrible on the road. 
Alabama is six on Kim Palm right now, and they have, I think they've beaten one team ranked in the top 30 of Kim Palm's metrics, and that's Auburn at home. Like they lost to anybody they play on the road. Auburn loses on the road. Florida loses on the road. Tennessee got packed up by Texas AM, who got packed up by Vanderbilt. Like, what do y'all make of this league? Mm-hmm. Best league in the country. Yeah. Do you really I think, think that? I, yeah. I, I, I think so because what you got to do, Riley, is you got to realize that every college basketball team loses on the road. It's not just the SEC. I just don't think teams, I just, I think the state of the sport is that many, many teams just can't win on the road. Like it, it just, I don't know what it's, it seems worse this year than it has in previous years. But when you go through it, there are teams that I like to do the classic uh, breakdown of does that team scare me? And when I go to the SEC conference, there's a lot of teams that scare me. Like even the, even the teams that are like even Florida actually scares me with the way they're playing right now. What Golden has doing with those guys, Auburn scares me. Bama scares me. Kentucky still scares me. I don't care even without the defense, they still scare. Like I, I just think when you go through this conference in comparison to other one, like I I think the SEC is good actually. That's true. It's a good point about road. It's also true. I think that every major conference in this sport has a lower half. That's just horrendous. Like go, go through the bottom five teams in the Pac-12, the big 10, the big East. Uh, There's just a lot of really stinky college basketball teams. So you almost have to ignore when we're evaluating, like how good is a conference to me? It doesn't matter how good your 12th best team is. It doesn't matter how bad Vanderbilt or Missouri or Arkansas are. It matters. What are your top six, seven teams looking like? Like the seventh best team in the big 10 might be Maryland. They're horrendous. The seventh best team in the Pac-12 is a joke. I don't even want to speculate who it is. The seventh best team in the ACC is probably like Miami, who I think is totally checked out right now and just not a serious basketball team. The seventh best team in the SEC is like Florida or Texas A&M or Mississippi State. Like those team, one of those teams, is the eighth best team in this league. That's really good. And the top half has three top 10 Ken Palm teams in Alabama, Auburn, and Tennessee. All three of those can make a final four. I wouldn't be surprised. The fourth best team is probably Kentucky based on talent. They need to figure things out, but they're so loaded. The fifth Mm -hmm. best team has 21 wins in 25 games this season. And then you get that group of Florida A&M, Mississippi State. Uh, I've said it's the Big 12 or the SEC for the best league. To me, the top of the SEC is significantly stronger than the Big 12. I would be surprised if any team in the Big 12 made a final four. I would not be surprised if three to four teams from the SEC did. Hmm. Speaking of that, uh, that fifth best team that has 21 games in South Carolina, I do have a suggestion for, for South Carolina if they really want to take their game to the next level. Colin Murray boils. He's good. You got to drop the boils, though. Just be Colin <laughs> Murray. No one wants boils. <laughs> yeah. That's, That's some, some fairly odd parents type. Boil kid, remember? Yeah. Also, I'm very in on centers from men's basketball teams dating centers from women's team. Like that's just one very precious and cute to uh, elite breeding that might ensue. How do you know that he's doing that? That you, This tells me you follow him on TikTok. Uh, I don't follow him on TikTok, but I have seen both his TikTok and his girlfriend's TikToks on my FYP. His girlfriend's pretty famous on TikTok. Mm. Chloe okay. Kitts. Uh, she's on the South Carolina women's team. Nice. Love the Lady Cox. Hmm. Don't like the way this ended. Uh, should we go to one big thing? Probably. One one big thing presented by Big B. Riley specifically told us that uh, his one big thing today would blow us away. So, Riley, the floor is yours. Oh, no. Nah. 
Oh, nah, let's go. All right, let me... Wait, let me start over. Let me start over. <laughs> I got nervous. Wait, you got to make sure it's near the mic so we can hear it, though. All right, can y'all... No, we can't hear it. You gotta be. Yeah, I think we you gotta like stand. Thing. I think you gotta stand up and like get the guitar like right oh, near wait. the mic. I got you. I got you. Wait, what is dude? Do you have a whole band set up over there? What's going on right now? Is he plugging into an amp? I am in an amp. Hold on, let me. <laughs> I love this, Riley Davis. This is Moving Mountains. <laughs> Just can't hear. <laughs> Just can't hear. <laughs> Can't hear. I mean, we can hear like one out of every three notes. I know what you're doing. You're playing the fast car loop, which is incredible. Can't, can't hear it. <laughs> now I can't hear you. Now I can't hear you either. Is your <laughs> mic on? Gotta, yeah, this is a stinker of a. This is the Armando Baycott. Uh, All right. Can you hear me? Okay. Okay. All right. Let's let's see if we can get this going. I mean, I, I can tell by your head bobbing movements that you're playing some heat right now, but like I hear nothing. That was a flop and I apologize. I, I mean, we might need you to just record a video and we can like post it yeah. or something. Get, some yeah. get, us, get us a video, a selfie style video. We'll, we'll post it. But the, I mean, the effort's incredible. Sometimes the execution lasts. Yeah. That right. guitar is fire too, by the way. I love the green. Thank you. I'm just so disappointed that you can't hear anything. Can I ask, did you already know the fast car loop or did you learn the fast car loop? I learned it. I looked it up. That's incredible. Incredible from you. Uh, you also, know. once again, just a, a clear portrayal that any white man singing or playing fast car <laughs> will look incredible doing that. I'm glad we could make that true this week. Okay, we heard that one. That was nice. Okay, see, that, that first was fired. Then it went away. Yeah, it was nice. Uh, all right. What's your one big thing, Cart? All right. My one big thing is I need to, it's, it's a self-reflection moment. Greg, I, I give out too much free promotion on here, don't I? Yes. I do. And you know what? I need to stop that. But the day I'm going to stop that is not now because I am here to tell you, for anyone out there who watches this show, if you are a person who struggles with vision issues and you want to have stylish glasses, but you don't want to pay top dollar for them, you need to go to Zenny Optical, that's Z-E-N-N-I.com. And when I tell you I have all my glasses from Zenny, like these are fire. Like, come on now. You can get them there. They're cheap. They're prescription. They come fast. They are like amazing price. You can get sunglasses, whatever you want. These are also inscribed, by the way, with my initials and at Sleepers Media on the outside of the, the arm. If you need glasses, go to Zenny Optical, prescription or not. It's the best website ever. We got to stop the URL spelling out like that. That's got to be a line that we draw unless we have a real sponsorship. But I love Zenny. I, that's fine. You can love these products without saying go to www.zenn. Like that's crazy, my brother. We need to get a bag before we okay. get that type of thing out. Okay. You I'm look still. great in the specs though. Uh my one big thing is that apparently the guy who invented Pop-Tarts died this week, and he's from state of Michigan. And 
first off, shout out to him because Pop-Tarts slap. Second off, it got me really thinking in a dark way. Like, I don't want to just die one day and be like the guy who sang a fast car rendition about Jawan Howard dying. So, like, what, like, if, if you, I want to know from you guys, if you die, like, what would the one sentence headline be like? Guy who invented Pop Tarts passes away. What would yours be, Cart? I think the official Boilermakers uh, Twitter page would put up that, like, one meme of that guy's, like, had to show it to my haters' funeral just to make sure he was gone. And they would post Lance Jones' face on the face of that meme and just tweet that out. Doing, doing the dance at your funeral. Yeah, yeah basically, that's what they do. Yeah. Uh, Riley, any thoughts? Yeah, guy who couldn't figure out his mic situation trying to play fast car for the Juwan Howard fast car parody dies. It's tough. It's really tough. <laughs> uh, I still don't know what mine is. My legacy is far from over. We'll see you next week on the Sleepers Podcast. Have a great weekend, everybody. <laughs>